the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimaye, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as life and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. Considered two subtopics in this direction. We've examined defining spirituality by examining what spirituality is not. And last week, what did we consider last week? The making of the spiritual man, which in summary happens by spiritual education. We saw the differences between the natural, carnal, and spiritual man last week. First Corinthians 2 is our text. We'll read that again and then go into what we will have for tonight. First Corinthians 2 and verse 10, we'll read into chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. But God has revealed them in, rather, God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that are been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with you of making good my scriptures. Go on to chapter 3. This is chapter 2. Go on to chapter 3 and verse 1 to 3. And our brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions amongst you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Alright, what we would um, consider tonight is titled Understanding the Spirit Realm or Understanding the Realm of the Spirit. It's a bit muddled and scattered, but we'll try to put the bits together and make sense out of the whole conversation. Understanding the Spirit Realm. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, once again, we receive understanding as you teach us tonight. Beyond what is heard, Lord, let there be experiences that are from this truth going forward in our lives. We will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Understanding the spirit realm, or understanding the realm of the spirit. In previous classes, we have established how 
a spiritual man is recognized by his understanding. We've seen from scriptures, biblical verses, as emphasized over and over again, that a spiritual man is recognized by spiritual understanding. A spiritually mature person understands spiritual things. Not only does he understand spiritual things, he also teaches it. We will soon consider Hebrews chapter 5. You see, one of the reasons the writer was complaining there is this, because you guys are supposed to have come to a point where you now teach these things. But yet, I still have to teach you the fundamental principles of Christ. So, a spiritual man's understanding facilitates his teaching the concepts of spirituality. A spiritual man understands spiritual things. A spiritual man teaches spiritual things. And we said that all of this is achieved fundamentally, especially last week, by spiritual education. When we give ourselves to the word, when we give ourselves to the hearing of truth, to the hearing of the saints of the spirit, then we are molded into spiritual people. We establish that the fundamental um, tool of molding spiritual men is not spiritual encounters. Even though we would emphasize a few of these encounters tonight, but fundamentally, the Word of God is the primary tool by which spirituality is achieved. Now, one basic understanding that a spiritual man must have is to understand the realm of the Spirit. To understand the world of the Spirit. To understand the place called the Spirit world. You are in a geographical location right now. It's Ogumosho on Daji um, Rama Chapel. That's the geographical location you are in the flesh or in the physical world. You see how specific that location is. If you are going to describe your current address, or perhaps if you send your WhatsApp Google location, or you send your present Google location on WhatsApp to somebody, the person can probably trace where you are. It's okay. This looks like, according to the map, on the G. It looks like um, a street where Ramachapul um, is a resident. So, although this is a physical reality, it also mirrors spiritual realities. There are locations in the spirit. There are realms. There are places. You see Jesus, for instance, speaking and said, in my father's house there are many mansions. <laughs> there are locations, places in the realm of the spirit. Are we still together? And we'll see how this... Um, term is used in various applications and dimensions in scriptures but fundamentally we would stay in the boundaries of the word of God you see the realm of the spirit is best described by the bible the problem with many Christians some of them do not even believe that there is a realm of the spirit and those that believe that there is a realm of the spirit try to get information outside the borders of scriptures and they enter into terrible realities. Because the realm of the spirit is a broad spectrum, as it were. It is not only good that is found in the realm of the spirit. We should consider the principal um, agents in that realm. There are about four principal agents in that realm. So, just because we are talking about the realm of the spirit does not mean everything in that realm comes from God. Everything from that realm is godly. They are demonic um, realities in the realm of the spirit. There are satanic realities. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible talks about spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness. Is God wicked? 
Is God spiritual? What is spiritual? But this one now says spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Ephesians 6 and maybe 12 or 13. You see, so there is a place where spiritual wickedness dwells. They, they are domiciled there. They walk there. So, you say, I want to assess the realm of the spirits. Please. You see, you must also understand that the realm of the spirits, there are various realities there. So, it depends on the one you are looking for. The same way a pastor can walk in the anointing of God, in the power of God, a priest, a fetish priest, can also walk in certain powers. And those powers are also spiritual powers. They are not physical powers. They are spiritual powers. Some Christians deny the fact that Satan has power. That's a ridiculous thing to conclude. Satan has power. He certainly does. Now, we have authority over Satan. We are not supposed to be under the influence of Satan. But to claim that Satan has no power, that's a very ridiculous thing to see. All those fetish priests you see, there are certain things that they carry through. Spiritual power that can be potent. They can wreak havoc with it. They can kill with it. They can destroy with it. Satan has given them that kind of a privilege because they are messengers and servants of Satan. All I'm trying to say here is that the spiritual man must come to a place where he understands the spirit realm. To be a spiritual man and not to understand the realm of the spirit is not a very good thing. You must understand the realm of the spirit. Understand how that realm works. Understand how you can access that realm. Understand how you can navigate that realm. Because that realm is very broad. When you enter into the realm, you must know what you are looking for. Understand what you can receive and how you can receive from that realm. All of this is what we want to try and achieve in the few minutes that we have tonight. So, just as we have a physical and material world, we also have a spiritual world. Now, interestingly, human beings were designed in such a way that they can function in the spiritual world and the physical world at the same time. Human beings were designed. The original template and plan for mankind was that we'll be able to function in the spiritual world and the physical world at the same time. How do I know? I know because of the description of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It was said that when man was created, listen, man was created from the earth and was also placed in the earth. However, there was a realm even in the earth. It was not just a physical realm that man lived. It was a place called Eden, a specific geographical but spiritual location where man lived, but God could also come down in the cool of the day and speak to man. It was a place that could host God, who is a spirit, and also host man, who was, as it were, in the earth. I don't want to use the word in the flesh. Do we get that? The place that man was supposed to live originally before the fall was a specific geographical location. In that location, it was not just a physical location. That's why anybody trying to locate Eden now will never get it. So Eden is between Saudi Arabia and Iraq in one valley. You can check. You can do all your research. You won't get it because it's not just a physical location. It's a spiritual location. Although man was living there, God could also visit and talk to man. So, it was a realm that was a bridge between the heavenlies and the earthly. And that was how God designed human beings to live. Humans were not designed to just be obsessed and engrossed with only the earth realities. Humans were designed to be in touch with both worlds, the spiritual and the physical at the same time. So that Adam could eat of the tree. The tree was a physical thing. 
eat food of the tree and still converse with God at the same time. Are we still together? He could talk to some of the animals and perhaps play with them and still receive the visitation of God in that same place called Eden. And then when he sinned, he was chased out of that place. That reality closed to him. But that was the way that God originally designed man to exist and to live. To navigate between the spiritual world and the physical world. So one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is knowing how to, in quick time, and I believe that from the things I will teach you tonight, you will be able to maximize this truth in quick time. Enter into the realm of the spirit when you need to. Because we are trying to understand this concept. Not just so that you can know it theoretically, but you can know it experientially. Because there are solutions that will be required for life and destiny. You will not be able to get them in the physical realm. You must know how to now navigate. Enter the realm of the spirit. Pick it up. Come back to the realm of the world or the realm of the earth and continue your life. That's how we know. That's how Jesus lived. You see that in the disposition of Jesus, the spiritual realm was not a far realm. It was not a distant realm. So that even in raising the dead, a mighty miracle as raising the dead, all Jesus would do in prayer was to say, Father, I thank you for you. Hear me always. And before you know it, he navigated into the realm where Lazarus was. Lazarus was no longer in a physical realm. He had died. And he called him. I said, Lazarus, come forth. Just like that. Jesus switched into the, the, the realm where Lazarus was now dwelling. Called him and came back together with him. In record time, not, it was not a long prayer. That's the spiritual man. This, see, the spiritual man makes the spiritual realm his natural habitat. It's not a place where you have, to, you have to struggle to enter. You just enter when you need to enter and come out. If you want to come out. It's, it becomes a dwelling place. That's what we are trying to achieve by this teaching. Understanding the realm of the spirit. So that when you need to receive from the spirit, you, can, you won't be missing road. Because the realm of the spirit, if you follow these teachings, is so close. Particularly because of the reality of the indwelling spirit. It's too close for you to miss it. It's just where you are. Where you are. But if you are not taught, you will know how to enter into that realm. Receive from it. Collect from it. Do what you need to do from it. It will look like a very far distant realm. Look at this scripture here. In 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. And um, verse 15. Let's see what it reads. 2 Kings chapter 3. Put it in verse 14. Let's have a context of the conversation. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I will not look at you nor see you. The sequence of this statement is that uh, the, the, I think it was the wife of the king came to, okay, it was Jehoshaphat and someone else, maybe, maybe here most likely, came to ask for a prophetic information from Elisha. Are we still together? Are we still together? They came to pick a, an information that was not available in the realm of the physical. Because this was a king here. He could easily summon somebody or say, I mean, give me the information. But it was not available 
in the physical. So they went to consult a master of spirituals. His name was Elisha. Now, Elisha, look at the sequence of events. Said in verse 15, But now bring me a musician. Everybody say a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Next verse, verse 16. And he said, Thus says the Lord. Now, listen. Elisha needed a road map, a pathway, or like modern um, theologians would say, a portal into the realm of the spirit. At that point, he could not access that phrase called Thus says the Lord. But he knew what to do. To create an environment that will be a door into the realm of the spirit. That word, the hand of the Lord, speaks about the realm of the spirit. And I'll soon show you in Isaiah and Ezekiel and perhaps Jeremiah. That phrase describes what happens when a man is under the influence of the spirit of God. And now can hear and see into the realm of the spirit. But Elisha did it by a musician. He said, bring me a musician. The case will say, bring me a minstrel. And as this person played the instruments or sang a song, Elisha could now travel into that realm where he could hear, Thus says the Lord. Prior to that time, Thus says the Lord was a reality. God was not hiding information. Or let me put it like this. The information in the realm of the Spirit is there. It's always there. See, listen to me. Everything in the realm of the Spirit is already existing. It is not when you collect it that God created it. It is already there. Are we together? That's why, you see, some of the things that we say, as thus says the Lord, is not necessarily thus says the Lord. It is a man picking up information from the realm of the Spirit. It's like I drop 17 numbers on this pulpit or on this altar. 17, I am the one who dropped it. And I said, anybody who knows his way to the altar, who is not afraid to come to the altar, can go and pick the numbers there. And somebody goes and picks number 7. He can come and say, PJ gave me number 7 from his altar. But not necessarily PJ gave me number 7. It was that you found yourself, found your way to the place where number 7 was. And then you picked it by yourself. Are we together? So, the Lord of the Spirit, there's information there, there's power there, there's influence there. If you know how to get there, without necessarily, it's not about God giving you, per se, sometimes. It's about you finding your way there, collecting what you want. Or what you need. And many prophets operate like that. Because one of the, one of the disciplines or mastery of the prophetic, like we have seen about Elisha, is that they know how to get into that realm. They know how to get there. They know how to get there. You notice here he said, bring me a musician. In First Samuel, we notice that there was a people called the company of prophets. And these people, they moved around with musical instruments. So, if you probably want to operate in strong prophetic giftings, you have to know how to travel with music. According to biblical patterns. David was a highly prophetic man, also very musical. He was also somebody who by playing the harp could cast out an evil spirit. This is how music and the prophetic or the realm of the spirit is very, very close. But if you don't know, I've seen many people bash those who, um, maybe when they are ministering, they minister, minister with a music background and they make jest of them. I say, this was, they are not reading your Bible. If you read your Bible, you will understand how music and the prophetic 
walk closely, you will know. It's a very simple thing from the scriptures. Are we still together? So, Elisha here could easily understand. If I travel by music, I will get there faster. Quickly, bring me a minstrel. And as she played, he entered into the realm, picked up the information, and told it to those who needed it. You will have to learn these things. There are informations, solutions, inferences you would need. It will not be available in the physical realm. It is only if you have mastered how to enter into the realm of the spirit, pick what you want, that you will now experience a productive life. So that's why we are teaching you on this concept of understanding the realm of the spirit. I believe that one of the things that the Bible emphasizes is that because we have been filled with the Holy Spirit or been baptized with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit has been poured out upon us, we should expect more spiritual, supernatural experiences. We should receive and demonstrate more supernatural, spiritual experiences. So that entering into the spiritual realm should not be difficult. In Joel 2.28, it, it speaks about certain realms of the Spirit. By virtue of the apple of the Spirit, it shall come to pass upon the Spirit upon all flesh. It says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So, to prophesy is an activity of the spiritual. Are we together? Your old men will dream dreams. Dreams there, we're not talking about natural mental dreams, but spiritual dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's not talking about this like vision 2020. It's actually talking about the suspension of your natural senses where you now have entrance into things that are not visible with the human eye. Visions, dreams, prophecy, all experiences that the Holy Spirit baptism should help us maximize. I don't believe that you, sh- you should be comfortable as a Christian with just theoretical talk. I believe that there are certain experiences you should come into that the Holy Spirit baptism should bring you into. Certain realities where you should enter into regularly. Not difficultly. Not something that is so hard. Especially when you need it. Not for sure of, because I will show you the balance of distance. Not for sure of, but when you need it. One of the wonderful things that I've come to discover in life is that you see, when you come to a point where you know how much God is willing to speak to you, you will not be begging for spiritual realities. If you need it, God will show you. Are you listening to me? Because some Christians actually have now entered into certain obsessions. You want to always see things when you don't need it. If you, some of the things you are wanting to see, like I told you in the first if you see it, you'll be afraid. Show me an angel, show me an angel. I hope you know an angel is not a doll baby. People saw angels in scriptures and they were so terrified, they wanted to worship the angel. Oh yeah, a real one, oh, not the one that Hollywood shows you. A real angel, it's a terrifying sight. If he comes in his fullness of his glory, you may not be able to stand. He may have to tell you, stand up, stand up, don't stand up, you are a servant like me. So some people have cravings to the spiritual realm, not for any useful thing. And I've told you, according to First Corinthians 12, that you see, when we talk about charismatic experiences, supernatural realities is to edify others, not just for show off or puffing up. Are we still together? But I believe that if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost, there should be 
consistent visitations into the realm of the spirit. Some of them may not necessarily be spectacular. Yeah. I've taught you that if you want to prophesy by the spirit, you, it doesn't have to be spectacular. You can prophesy even though you are seemingly in your senses. You can prophesy in normal English. God is speaking to you right now and he wants you to pay attention to everything he will say. And you can talk like that in normal English without saying <laughs> You don't need all of that in true and out true. The prophesy. You don't need all of that. Because I mean you carry the Holy Spirit the in a sense, and I also teach you according to scripture, in a sense, you are supposed to be permanently in the spirit. The spiritual realm is a place where you are permanently resident. You don't need to do doing true. Now enter. And then say what you want to say. And then when you say what you want to say, say it's very funny. God is here. After all the demonstration and manifestation. It's God is here that you have to say. <laughs> are we still together? All right. The spiritual realm is always interacting with the physical realm. I know that from the very first chapter of the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth, and in explaining the specific details of the creation, we are told that in the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God began to move on the face of the waters. So you see, the Holy Spirit is not afraid or hostile to the physical realm. There is a constant interaction between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Are we still together? The spiritual realm is always trying to influence the physical realm. The spiritual realm is not content with just, let's just stay in this realm. No. The spiritual realm wants to extend its influence and power and authority to the physical realm. Although Satan is a spirit, I was going to show you that and teach you that. Or you see him trying to affect human beings, affect nations, affect kingdoms, touch flesh, touch bodies, push people to sin. Although he's a spirit, he's not just, come, he's not just content with, let's just stay in the spirit realm. No. <laughs> he wants to influence, manipulate, you know, touch what is in the physical realm. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, we are told that the spirit, or whoever is born of the spirit, is like a wind. Put it on the screen, John 3 8. In describing the wind, or in describing the realm of the spirit, or the man of the spirit, it talks about something that you can relate with physically. And it talks about the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. In other words, you can't really control it. I don't know how many of you have tried to control the wind. I was watching a documentary on news, I'm not sure. And one man was selling air. He was selling, not oxygen. What he does is that he goes to a place that geographers have termed as the place with the healthiest air, as it were. It's a very healthy air. There's no pollution there. So he, he will carry bottles like this and he will capture the air. And close it and sell it and move by it. Then they will open this. Hmm. They have money. They have plenty of money. That's why. When you have money, you can buy anything. (laughs) 
But the wind blows where it wishes. You don't, you don't have to control the direction of the wind. Nobody can. Well, if you, if you um, attempt to manage the powers of the wind, sometimes some people do a few things. I know that scientists try to control some of these natural disasters that are wind dominant. But the regular wind is not something you can even see to control. He says you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word spirit and wind or breath are actually from the same Hebrew and Greek words. So you see in Genesis, the Bible says that God breathed into man and man became a living being. That was the operation of the Spirit. Are we still together? What that means is that what is described in Genesis chapter 1 and the Spirit moved over the face of the deep could suggest there was a wind activity. A wind activity. That's how we recognize that that was the spirit moving. It was a wind activity. Are we still together? So I was saying that there is always constant interaction between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And this um, activity is towards dominance and control. I said that the spiritual realm is always trying to influence the physical realm to control the physical realm. Now, some people believe that there is no spiritual realm because they cannot see the realm. Is there a God? Where is He? And in a generation that is given to the evidence of the flesh, you must see it, you must smell it, you must taste it, you must touch it before you think it's real. This is often a difficult subject to explain. Some people would only, like Thomas, believe when they see. But let me say this. There are many things about the physical world, the material world, that is also invincible, but you know exists. Your brain exists. We know it exists. And perhaps if you are an anatomy student, or you have been you have, you have probably witnessed the internal parts of the human body. You will know that there is a brain. But I cannot see it. I can see my head. I cannot see my brain. Are we still together? If there is a surgery and then somebody is cut open, all those things will be seen. So the point is, just because you cannot see the wind, does not mean the wind does not exist. But the wind um, shows its influence. Not necessarily itself. The spirit does not show itself. Rather, the Spirit does not show Himself, but demonstrates His influence and power by His activities. Please, all of this will help us understand the realm of the Spirit. Because somebody will ask, how do I know that the Spirit is here? How do I know the Spirit is present? We know the Spirit is present by the operations and activities of the Spirit. Not because we see the Spirit. Are we together? Come on, are we still together? I know the spirit is moving because I see the activities of the spirit. Once I see the activities of the spirit, I know that the spirit is present. There's a constant interaction between the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and this interaction is towards dominance. Now, there are four major um, characters, as it were, in the realm of the spirit that you should be familiar with. I would explain them in a couple of minutes if I have time, but let me just start from somewhere. Four major characters in the spirit realm. I think I have to do some explaining here. The first character, of course, is God. 
God is a spirit. Many of us agree with that. To a large extent, the words of Jesus in John 4 and 23 to 24 affirms this. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Are we together? Okay, so that is clear. The second character is Satan. Satan is also a spirit. A major character in the realm of the spirit, God, Satan. Then we have angels. Okay, five characters actually. We have angels. We have demons. And we have man. If you are a smart student of the scriptures, you will notice that there are seemingly other mentions. For instance, in visions of Ezekiel and even in Revelations, you will notice certain beasts. They were not necessarily called angels. And they were certainly not humans, but they were called beasts. How many of you understand what I'm saying here? If you read the book of Ezekiel, you will see there were certain descriptions of certain um, entities that were not certainly human beings, and they did not certainly look like angels. And some of them were called beasts. You see that in Revelations. The 24 elders, the beasts. <laughs> but we can stay in the boundaries of scripture and limit the five major characters in the realm of the spirit to God, Satan, angels, demons, and man. Are we still together? Yeah, you can separate angels and demons. Please. <laughs> Let's not model them together. Instead of angels and demons, just say angels, demons, and let them man. So we have established from scripture that God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him spirit and truth. Satan is spirit also. Satan is certainly not man and is not a beast in that sense. He was originally an angel but eventually because of his iniquity and rebellion he transformed into the devil. Satan. The word Satan is the word adversary which refers to his opposition to God and everything that belongs to God. So Satan is a spirit. Let's go on to angels and demons. I think that's where we really need to explain. Angels are servants of God, but they are not men. They are not women. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, put it on the screen. Hebrews 1 verse 8. Look at how the Bible describes angels. He says, go ahead to verse 6. I'm not sure this is the right scripture. When he had, okay, let's start from 6, read to 7. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Everybody say angels of God. So let's know the personalities he's describing. Go ahead to verse 7. And the angels, and of the angels, he says, that is, this is how God speaks about angels. Who makes his angels spirit? Now, this word spirit can mean he makes them like breath or wind. And his ministers flame of fire. Listen, very important information here. Angels, spirit or wind, ministers, the word ministers here, is not talking about minister of the gospel like PJ, Reverend George. He's talking about the angels too. Because 
this chapter was explaining the superiority of Christ over angels. So it's explaining how Christ is superior. That although Christ um, was crucified, but he is called the Son, but the angels are called messengers or servants. And he calls them spirits, his ministers, flame of fire. From this singular verse, we already can guess or can assume the components of an angel. While a man is made up of flesh and bones in this physical, or let me use the word, in the tangible realm, a man is flesh and blood, rather, currently flesh and blood. Soon will be flesh and bones, but now we are flesh and blood. Are we still together? Are we still together? Follow, just follow closely. When we say he makes his angel spirit, it does not mean that they are not tangible. When you hear spirit, you may think something that is not tangible cannot be touched. Not necessarily. And to a large extent, if you are only in this realm, permanently in this realm, you cannot really touch the angelic. But the angels actually have a form. And their form is made up of wind and fire. While we are made up of flesh and blood, their form is made up of wind and fire. Somebody say, well, wind is just wind. It has no form. Actually, they do have a form. If you see an hurricane, you can see the shape of the wind. Are we together? It's a faint figure. It's a faint sight, but you can see a shape. It's a very faint, very, almost invisible, but you can see a shape. And then just like that. But when you are now in the RM, or they come to your RM, you can now see them clearly, depending on how they appear to you. So, the angels are created beings. They are not creators. They are created beings. And in fact, they were created before man was created. Yeah. Angels were created in the existence of tangibility before man was created. This is where angels are superior to men. In the timeline of creation, angels are superior to men. Are we still together? Psalm chapter 8. I'm not sure you may get this if I don't explain from scriptures. Psalm chapter 8. Alright. Um, describing mankind, the psalmist says something very instructive and revelatory in the 8th chapter of Psalms. Verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou hast mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Everybody say lower than the angels. And has crowned him with glory and honor. Now the word angel here is also the word Elohim, which sometimes speaks in the Old Testament literature. Follow me, follow me. This thing you must get it to. Are we still together? I don't just want to just talk to you. I want you to get it. So you can, if you read this verse of scripture, you must understand the implication and the application. Because some people now begin to worship angels. And by the way, according to scriptures, there are only two angels that their names are revealed. Any other name where you hear, we know of the angel Gabriel. We know of the angel Michael. Those are the only people that their names, the only angels that their names were mentioned. Raphael, Buliel, Muriel, Tuliel, Kuliel, Uniel, Undiel. 
You know the Bible. They are some of those names. Raphael, for instance, is in the book of Enoch. It's let me use the word a book that was not accepted to be part of the Bible because it had several things that were not really fit into the consistency of scriptures. So there are several other books. There's the book of Judas. There's the book of Mary. And some of these books contain some very funny things. But in the scriptures that we have now, there are only two names of angels that we know. Michael and Gabriel. Once you begin to hear Raphael, Muriel, Niniel, Ron. It's not biblical. And there's no need trying to guess the name of an angel. There's no need. Are you listening to me? If you think that by knowing a name, you can be commanding the angel, you are deceiving yourself. Go and be calling Gabriel. Now stand outside and say, Gabriel, stand and see what happens. Knowing <laughs> the name of an angel does not give you any advantage, right? Are we still together? Psalms 8, verse 5. So, created or made lower than the angels, a little lower, it says, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, these angels, the word here is Elohim in the Hebrew, and some theologians have assumed or claimed that it's talking about lower than God himself. Well, with the way the writer of Hebrews discusses this same verse and chapter, we may not agree with that. Because once again, like I said, the essence of the writing of Hebrews was to show the superiority of Christ over the angels. And the writer quoted this verse of scripture in reference to Christ. That Christ humbled himself and even became lower than the angels. I said, what? In a sense of his humanity. Are we still together? So, it would not be too accurate or too sound to say that this is talking about God. There is a sense that man is superior to angels, but not in the sense that he described here. In the order of creation, angels were made first. And so, we can say angels are superior in that sense to man. We get? However, for the new creation, whose location is described as in Christ... Angels cannot be superior to us. So go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse maybe 9. In describing go on to 10 and maybe 11. I'm not sure the verse exactly but I'll find it. Is there 10 and 11 in that scripture? No, don't worry. It's not this one. I've done this. Messengers, messengers to minister to the years of salvation. That is that fourteen? Okay, fourteen. Are they not ministering spirits? Everybody say ministering spirits. Send forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. So in this sense, we see the superiority of the man in Christ over angels because they are messengers to minister to us. If you are my messenger, if you are my servant, you can't be superior to me. Do we get that now? The man in Christ. But in a sense also, the angel is also superior because of his strength. An angel's strength is, who is the world's strongest man? I don't know who that may be. But an angel's strength is so much more than a man's strength. So much more. You see, when you understand this truth now, you will now know that uh, when the Bible says, Jacob wrestled with angel, properly interpreted too. Angel, nobody you're made to. Hey, they wrestle with the father wrestling with angel. 
don't think that uh, yeah, you are wrestling with angel. Angel. It will not be like that too. <laughs> the best way you can just... Some of these sayings of the, of the Old Testament writings with some of them moving in dramatic expressions. Don't now imagine Jacob being giddy with angel. It will not be like that. Angel. Mighty strength. Mind, their presence alone, the temperature they carry can make a man want to worship when they showed up in the Old Testament, appeared to Gideon, you see the frights and the terror. What is this? So in that sense, they are greater than man. Superior to man. In the sense of wisdom also, angels are superior. Angels don't process things like human brains. You know, that's why the angel was shocked when Zechariah did not understand that uh, the wife would conceive. An angel went to Zechariah and said, your wife will conceive. The, the guy said, ha, at this age, the angel was shocked. Like, your brain, no boot, will be dumb. <laughs> their, mind, their mind is not like our own that will not be thinking, how shall it first happen? No. What? The, the, the way, they, they are superior in wisdom. But do you know that as superior as they are in wisdom, they cannot understand salvation. Because it's that one, it's only the Holy Spirit that can teach it. <laughs> So in that sense also we are superior to them. Do we get it now? But for the natural human being, they are not beyond it. The process of formation, if you tell an angel to calculate an arithmetic, whatever, 6 billion times 349,000, they will do it in one second. They will give you the answer. A man, will, even a man using a calculator, we have to still take some time. You get? Okay. So, when God made the angels, He made them as servants. You see, ministering spirits talks about serving spirits. The word ministering spirits talks about service, serving spirits. Sent forth to minister for those, for those who will inherit salvation. So, they are designed as servants. One of the reasons why Hebrews also emphasizes the superiority of the man in Christ is that Jesus did not redeem angels. He says he did not die for angels. He died for the seed of Abraham. Which already teaches us that some angels, as it were, needed redemption. And this leads me to my next emphasis. When God made angels, He made them with the capacity to make choices. He gave them a free will. And in a sense, they could decide who to serve and who not to serve. And Lucifer was designed in that direction. Now, I'm saying Lucifer... This is a borrowed term from Ezekiel, I think. This does not necessarily mean that um, we have a third angelic name. No. That word Lucifer meant morning star, or means morning star, basically. But it's pronounced in the Hebrew Lucifer. Are we still together? So, but you can, you can call it a name of an angel, but because that angel is no more, as it were, we'll stay with Gabriel and Michael. Are we still together? So Satan was... An angel. But rebellion entered into him. That's why you must understand that the first sin was not what happened at Eden. The first sin didn't take place in the realm of the earth. It took place in the realms of the heavens. But immediately iniquity was discovered. Boom! It's, iniquity is not compatible with God. So, throughout, throughout, cast out. However, it was not just Lucifer that fell or that was thrown down or that was cast down. There were other angels who Lucifer had deceived. Had told as well, let's take over the world. How many of you have watched Pinky and the Brain? The Pinky and the Brain. 
Trying to take over heaven. As Elizabeth was doing campaign, say, You, I will make you minister of transportation. So they followed him. When Lucifer was cast down, these angels who followed him were also thrown down. It is safe to assume that these are fallen spirits and demons. It is safe. There are many theological opinions that suggest demons are not fallen angels and blah blah blah. But it is safe to now assume because when we begin to examine those that God created, we say God made angels and then he made man. Then subsequently made animals and plants. We have Satan. He was an angel. He was not made as Satan. He was an angel. Are we together? I know that God did not make anything evil. Everything God made in Genesis 1, he said he saw that it was good. It was good. It was so God did not make Satan. Satan's iniquity, pride, made him Satan. God did not make demons. They were angels. Supposed to be servants of God. But because they followed in Satan's rebellion, that's why you now see where the writer of Hebrews now says, sorry, we say the writer of Hebrews because we are not certain clearly who wrote the book. Hebrews. Many Bible scholars believe it is Paul, but it was not clearly said. Reverend George believes it is Paul. I believe it is Paul. But when you are dealing with Bible, Bible teaching, it's better to stay with what is written. Are we together? Don't just go and say, Paul said in Hebrews. <laughs> it is by research we can now assume that Paul wrote Hebrews, but it is not written clearly. Reverend George believes that Paul introduced himself in every letter. So Gentile churches, I, Paul, a servant of God. I, Paul, a servant of God. However, when he wrote to the Hebrew Christians, he did not need an introduction. So he just went straight to the conversation. God, in sundry times and diverse manners, that's how we began Hebrews 1.1. In previous books, he would say, I, Paul, a servant of Christ. I bring you greetings, all of that. We get that? Okay. So the writer of Hebrews now affirms that Jesus did not die for angels, he died for the seed of Abraham. Which suggests that some angels at one point fell, just the way Adam fell. When did they fall? They fell when they followed Satan. The same way Satan deceived Eve, he deceived angels too. They all fell together. We get that? So, the angels of God who did not follow Satan's deception remained intact. They remain useful to God. The others were cast out. Thrown away. It is believed that they settled in the atmosphere above the earth. That's why in Ephesians 6, now all of this are not too important, but if you go deep into theology, I'll probably show you. That's why you see them talk about spiritual wickedness in high places. So, above the earth, somewhere that is sometimes called the second heaven is where they settle down. Because I will soon teach you that to stay on the earth, you need man's permission because man is the God of the earth. So they couldn't come here. Man is, or to God give you, or to man give you permission, you can't stay on the earth. Even the Holy Ghost, until, you see, for him to come and dwell in us, he needed our agreement. We had to believe in Jesus. Then he now came to live in us. Are we still together? So demons are fallen angels. That's a safe inference or safe assumption. 
because they are fallen angels, they don't have certain things that the original angels had. Now, I didn't say this about angels. When they want to minister, they can either appear as a man, they can take up the form of a man. In Hebrews chapter 13, there about, it says we should not be weary of entertaining strangers because some of entertained angels unaware. In other words, you can see somebody look like a human being and you help him. Meanwhile, the person is an angel. That happened in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham saw guys. They were men. They looked like men. But he looked at them and said, Come, have you guys eaten? <laughs> and alas, they were angels. <laughs> alas, they were angels. So, in appearing to man, an angel can take up the form of a man. An angel, however, can also take up the form of a glorious being that is tangible as wind and fire. And many of the Old Testament prophets who had angelic visitations, this was the form that they saw these angels. A form of fire and wind. A breathtaking form. They are brilliant and majestic in their poise. They are exceptional in appearance. But demons are ugly. Their glory has been stripped from them. Are we still together? And so to walk on the earth demons have to now use human beings. Either by possessing them or by controlling them. For instance, we are told by the Gospels or the writings about the life and ministry of Jesus. Listen now, listen. That there was a madman whom Jesus cast out devils from. And that the demons begged Jesus, don't cast us out into the wilderness. And then they were chased into pigs. Are we still together? Although the pigs drowned. So I don't know where they left again after that. Jesus also gave teachings that taught that when a demon is cast out of a place, it will go about dry places looking for where to enter again. A demon needs occupation. A, de- a demon needs a housing. Because its, its component was not designed to live on the earth. Follow me closely. Are we still together? A demon is a fallen angel. Even an angel was not designed to live on the earth. So, if a demon is going to be resident on the earth, it needs a host. That's why demons are aggressive about pushing people to open their, their lives to him. Demons, because they need, they need a place. They need a roof over its head. It's not comfortable in dry places. It's not comfortable in the wilderness. It's only when it indwells a man, indwells a thing. A demon can actually indwell a thing. If a demon can indwell a pig, even if it's for five seconds, it can indwell a thing. Yeah, there are demonic objects. Somebody can sit on a chair and that chair hosts a demon. Are we together? Are we together? It's not to scare you, it's just to understand. So if you see somebody praying, and by prayer, he burns a chair. He says, how you going to burn chair? Chair and spirit. Mm-mm, that's not how spiritual people think. Spiritual people know that even though it's a chair, a demonic personality can inhabit it. Are we together? Okay. 
Angels, I'm still talking about angels and demons, are not unlimited in strength. Although they are powerful, they are not unlimited in strength. The only one who is unlimited in strength is God. How do I know? Remember that angel, Gabriel, I think. Was it Gabriel or Michael? Who is the angel of strength now? That was dispatched for Daniel. Michael? It was Gabriel that was sent to Mary. Is that not so? Some theologians believe that the angel Michael is the warring angel. The angel Gabriel is the messenger angel. I don't know the word angel. Angelos speaks about messenger. But then it seems to classify Michael as the one who fights the Lord's battles. And then Gabriel as the one who delivers the Lord's messages. All of that are still subject to theological arguments. But all the same you get the picture. When he was released to come and deliver the prayers of Daniel, you notice he was resisted. Is that not so? Come on, are we still together? The prince of Persia resisted him. That shows that the angel is not unlimited in strength. Although he's strong, he's powerful, but his strength is not like God's strength. God cannot be limited. No prince of Persia, if God comes down, we'll go in that God. But that angel, although he was God's number one warrior angel, he was still limited. So it took a while before he broke through. The prince of Persia. We, we clear? Alright. Um, so demons also have certain influences. But fundamentally their influence begins with deception. In First Timothy 4 and verse 1, we read of doctrines of devils and sedition spirits. Let's be sure that's what we are quoting correctly. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Spirit speaks especially that in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving it to deceiving spirits. Everybody say deceiving spirits. So demons, actually, their fundamental influence is deception. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The word doctrines of demons is teachings of demons. So demons have influence by teaching. They teach people. <laughs> they teach people lies. They, they learn that from their master, Lucifer. So they teach people. When you see somebody believing a lie about himself, nobody likes you. In that church, there's no love there. Demons are whispering to him. You see, when we talk about demonic activities, people don't understand. So people think they must see an ugly creature pursuing them. Demonic activities happen every time. Fundamentally, it's deception. Teachings. Doctrine there means teachings. They teach. They talk to people. They whisper to people. Do it. Do it. Do it. God still loves you. No matter what you do, do it. When, you see, when that kind of voice is loud, it's a demon talking. The only spirit will never tell you do it. And when he says do it in terms of sin, God still loves you. That's not the voice of the spirit of God. That's a seducing spirit there talking. A doctrine of devils. Are we still together? But basically, they cannot do all of this without man's permission. So they have to talk to persuade man. All the activities of demons, which also includes sickness and disease, one of the reasons we know that demons influence human bodies is that when Jesus was going to heal certain people, he cast out spirits from them. A woman was infirmed for about 18 years. She was bowed. She was probably like this. This is how she was. And when Jesus met her, Jesus cast out the spirit of infirmity. Then he says, woman, now I'm made whole. So there was a spirit causing that deformity. 
some of the deformities even in births are demonic. Are you listening to me? Are demonic. I've told you the spiritual world is always interacting with the physical world for influence and dominance. One of the joys of Satan is to corrupt the seed of mankind. To corrupt it in every way. In every way possible. Um, so angels and demons that's, that, that's enough that's enough basic information you require if you need to study more in that direction you can but basically know their origins how they operate you know their capacities and all of that are we clear on that? okay okay <laughs> I've taken too much time on that but um, let's go on to man and I'll have to be brief on this we have talked about God as a spirit, Satan, demons, angels. The last character is man. Is that not so? Okay, so this is a controversy. Some people say man is a spirit. Some people say man has a spirit. I will show you both sides from scriptures. And I will tell you what I think. One of the interesting features of man that differentiates him from angels, from demons... From every other creature or creature, creature of God is that man was made in the image of God. When he says man was made in the image of God, it certainly does not describe the physical attributes of God, of man rather. It does not mean that God has two eyes and one nose and one mouth and two hands. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about a reality in the spirit. And beyond component, when I say component, I'm talking about what makes up that thing. Are we together? Follow me. When I say component, for instance, I said we are composed of flesh and blood. If I cut myself, what will come out is blood. Is that not so? It's not oil or petrol. Because I'm, my component is flesh and blood. There is also bone, cartilage and all of that. But in the summary, flesh and blood. So the components that we refer to in mankind, flesh and blood, and we say man was made in the image of God, that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying that God is also flesh and blood. We have learned that God is spirit. does not have flesh and blood. But it speaks more of compatibility and intimacy and a possibility of a relationship. For instance, a lion is also flesh and blood. We agree? Come on, are we still together? A lion is flesh and blood too. But you cannot say a lion is made in the image of God. Let's not even go far. A monkey. Monkey even looks like a human being. A lot. But it's not made in the image of God. Why? Because the monkey does not have the capacity to be intimate with God. It's only man that has that capacity. And that capacity is a spiritual capacity. Okay, so I'm trying to explain the issue of is man a spirit or does man have a spirit? So, in that sense, many teachers affirm that man is a spirit in the sense that man was made in the image of God. Kenneth Hagin affirms this. He says that man is a spirit because man was made in the image of God, which talks about spiritual components. God is spirit, man is also spirit. In John chapter 3, we also see the statement that seems to affirm that man. Is a spirit. Um, where is that now? Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Please notice he did not say that which is born of the spirit has a spirit. 
He says that which is born of the Spirit is what? Is what? Okay. So this is the biblical argument for the fact that man is the Spirit. The fact that we were made in the image of God and that according to John, the words of Jesus actually, we were born of the Spirit, we also become spirits. There's another argument that suggests that man is not a spirit and that man is actually spirit, soul, body. Or man is made up of spirit, soul, body. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now this is where the argument is. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Please, we'll put it on the screen. I want to be sure we are following. First Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That is, completely. And I pray God, it's not on the screen, but open your Bibles if you have one. I need to see this statement. I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body. It says your whole spirit, soul and body. Are we together? Analyzing this verse suggests that it is me that has a spirit, not that I am a spirit. Do you get my logic? Your spirit. It didn't say you as a spirit be sanctified. It says that your spirit, your soul, it's something you put, you have, not who you are. It's something you have as a possession. That's your spirit, your soul, your body. This is the argument that now suggests that man is not a spirit. Man has a spirit. Man has a soul. Man has a body. And many of these theologians have affirmed, and rightly so in a sense, that to be a man, you, you must have spirit, soul, body. If you don't have body, you are not called man. If you have spirit and soul, but you don't have body, you can't be called man. Maybe you are demons. Eh? Because demons have spirit, soul. I know demons have a soul because of the emotions of demons. When they are being cast out, they cry out, ah, Leave me alone! That is their soul. Because it's, the soul is the seat of emotions. They feel pain. They feel sorrow. They feel anguish. But you know their body. So that is a demon. So for somebody to be called a man, you must seemingly have these qualities of spirit, soul, but are we still together? Are we still together? Also notice that in describing angels, he calls them spirits. In Hebrews chapter 1, he has made his angels spirits. So the, ag- the argument suggests that it is angels that are described as spirits because they don't have this human body. But I told you that it does not mean that the angels don't have a body. It means that their own component is not flesh and blood. It is most likely fire and wind. We get that. Luke chapter 24 is another explanation to this concept. Yikes. Alright. In verse 39 of Luke chapter 4. Now, there was a doubt because in verse 37 put it on verse 37 they were terrified and frightened and suppose they had seen a spirit the word seen a spirit here means seen a ghost we clear on that go ahead to verse 38 and 39 and he said to them why are you troubled and why do, do doubts arise in your hearts behold my hands 
and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So, in this statement, the argument that says that Jesus was saying, I'm not a spirit, I'm a man. I have flesh and bones. Because it is a man that has flesh and bones. Ghosts, spirits, don't have flesh and bones. They may have fire and wind, but they don't have flesh and bones. Do we get the argument now? So this is why people now, the theologians now say, well, man is not a spirit. Man has a spirit. Has a soul and has a body. Man is not a spirit. But if you, tell, if you ask me what I think, I would tell you that it is the application of this truth that matters. How this truth is applied is what is most important. What are you, now, those that say man is a spirit, what they mean is that man was, must prioritize his spirit over his soul and his body. That's what they are fundamentally trying to say. That the part of you that will last forever, the part of you that exists eternally, is not your flesh and blood. It's not even your emotions and your soulical realities. It is the part that came from God, the spirit. So whether you say man is a spirit, but here in Romans chapter, what we teach, what Reverend John teaches is that man is a spirit. And that's from the Kenneth Hagin theology. Man is a spirit, has a soul, lives in a body. And that's acceptable theology. If you also say man has a spirit, it works. According to First Thessalonians 5, these are scriptural proofs. He says, I pray that God will sanctify your spirit, something you possess. You have a spirit, you have a soul, you have a body. Are we together on that? Alright, alright, alright. Let's go into a few other things and close. I'll probably want to take questions see if there are any. But except I do this teaching in two weeks, I'm not sure I can exhaust my notes. Now, let us consider doors or pathways into the realm of the Spirit. Pathways into the realm of the Spirit. We've established the characters in the Spirit realm. God, Satan, man, angels, demons. But pathways into the realm of the Spirit. One of the things that I've observed amongst many Christians is that they are not too well trained as to how this truth I'm about to share if practiced consistently and believed as much as it should would make you experience whatever is due you from the realm of the spirit anytime you need it, anytime it's, it's as easy as you saw in 2 Kings 3 verse 15 that somebody will know the door bring me a minstrel and we will go walk through the door come back easily the first thing I want to talk about as an entrance into the realm of the spirit are words Words are pathways, entrances, doors into the realm of the spirit. What I'm doing now is that I'm teaching you spiritual realities, explaining spiritual realities to you. But how I'm bringing you into that realm of understanding is I'm using words. I'm not carrying you tangibly, and I'll show you where that applies to, if, if, if needs be. Into the realm. I am using words to bring you into the realm. Do we get it? In John 6, 63, Jesus says, The flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Many Christians try to make a dichotomy between word and spirit. 
They say things like, that man is word-based. He does not know spirit. That other one is spirit-based. He does not know word. But many times, if you examine this thing closely, it's not the sound thing to say. If you are talking about operations of spirituals, yeah. But to claim that the preaching of the word is not a spiritual thing, you don't know what spirit is. When I teach the word, it's an activity of the spirit. When Jesus spoke, perhaps people assume that he was just talking and making sound from his mouth. Jesus was saying, no, these things I'm saying, they are spirit and they are life. It's not just sound from my mouth. Particularly in today's world, I've seen how so much is being done to downplay the spirituality of the word. People don't consider the word of God as a spiritual thing. They don't consider teachers of the word as spiritual people. If they don't fall you down and slay you in the Holy Ghost, they are not spiritual people. If they, all they do is just explain the truth, they are not spiritual people. They must fall you down. You must roll on the floor, say, for you to be called a spiritual man. And that's very sad, really. Very sad. Words are pathways into the realm of the spirit. Jesus, I told you last week, molded spiritual men by teaching them. He stayed with them in teachings. Taught them parables of the kingdom of God. Doctrines, truths. And by so doing, he molded them into spiritual people. Words are pathways into the realm of the spirit. Now listen. This is also important because some of us, particularly because of our carnality, have a lack of understanding into the realm of the spirit, often underrate words. I've heard Christians say, it's just a song, there's nothing there. And I laugh. <laughs> it's just a song. You don't know the realm of the spirit. That's how you say it's just a song. <laughs> First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1 The spirit speaketh expressly. You see, a dominant feature of the realm of the spirit are sounds, words, speakings. Speakings. The spirit speaketh expressing. To say you are separating words from spirit, it doesn't make any meaning. This, you see, one way you discern a spirit is by hearing what the spirit is saying. If I hear the voice of Satan, I can know this is Satan talking. Even though he comes as an angel of light, I can know he looks like God, but he talks like Satan. He's Satan. It is by hearing words that we can discern a spirit. Are you listening to me? So underrated words, hey, is to be an illiterate of the realm of the spirit. People enter into covenant with God. How? By words. How did Samuel become dedicated as a priest of God in the house of God to serve God all his life? His mother said something with a mouth. If you can give me a male child, he will serve you forever. And God took the words. The Spirit of God took the words. Signed on it. Sealed it. And the child was born. The child had no right to a career. Because he was covenanted by words. What was it? It's just, it's, it's just talk. It's just lyrics. You don't know the realm of the Spirit. You don't know the realm of the Spirit. Giving it to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It is by words that devils influence. 
It's not by force. It's by words. To underrate words is to be an illiterate of the realm of the spirit. How did you come into a covenant with Jesus? Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. How did I become one flesh with my wife? I made a vow to her with my words. I have seen people enter covenant with Satan with words. Covenant into witchcraft. Go and say you want to join court and see whether you not sign or say something. You will. It's a constant law of the Holy Spirit. Words must be involved. You sign something. You say something. Covenants are established by words. Somebody else says, ah, it's just a song. <laughs> I wonder, why are you this illiterate? The Spirit speaketh expressly. Spirits speak. They speak. Stop underrating words. Words are spiritual. Except you don't believe the Bible. Words are spiritual. Words are spiritual. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit alive. The words that Satan speaks, they are death, they are destruction. You see, when we pray, and by prayer we enter into the realm of the spirit, it's a principle of words. Words. When Adam was driven out of Eden, man began to look for ways which they can reach God and converse with God. One of the things that they developed, maybe by God's teaching to them, or perhaps they just had the intuition that this is the right thing to do, was to set up altars and offer sacrifices. And say words of prayers to God. Because they knew that there were pathways you can use to navigate the realm of the Spirit. One of those were words. People made covenants with God. In prayer, when you see men call upon the noble, they knew that although God is Spirit, we've never seen Him. We can have access to Him by words. He hears. He also speaks. Stop underrating words. It's a doorway. When you see Christians stuck in many demonic oppression and affliction, sometimes I try to analyze what have you been reading, what have you been hearing, what have you been saying. There are little kids who can be brought into occultism and witchcraft by words. Armless. You see Christians celebrating Halloween in America, and I say, ah, look at these fools. I will soon show you how actions also become doorways to the realm of the spirit. Including negative spiritual realities. People underrate everything. So, like I taught you last week, let us stop saying things like, okay, I've said words, let's go on to actions. Let us stop saying things like, what you do does not matter. It is who you are. It's your spirit that matters. That's, that's spiritual illiteracy. Spiritual people don't talk like that. How can you say what I do does not matter? Well, I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I laid hands, I laid hands, a physical activity. But the spiritual power is transferred by that. The answer what I do does not matter. Does it make any meaning? I became one flesh with my wife by sexual intercourse. The answer what I do does not matter. The writer says if you sleep with a halot, you become joined with her. The answer what you do does not matter. That's not how spiritual people talk. Spiritual people know the implication. They know that actions are doorways, pathways into the realms of the spirit. Are you listening to me? 
First Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 11. Let me confirm here. First Corinthians, chapter 10. Ah, let me rush there. First Corinthians, chapter 10. And verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the tables of devils. So, you see, of recent I've discovered that many Christians are suffering certain afflictions, some mental, some physical. And the issue is that it can be traced to interactions with devils and demons by virtue of certain actions. In this chapter, Paul was explaining to the Corinthian church how that by their interaction with unbelievers and participating in their feasts, which were actually demonic feasts, they also partook of the cup of demons, interacted with devils. Many Christians think that going to club is just going to club. You don't know that when you see somebody who has sexual intercourse with five girls, it's a demonic drive. You don't know. And you don't know that when that person drinks certain drinks, plays certain music, dances to it, and has such energy to execute such promiscuity, you don't know it is enabled and facilitated by demons. You now think, I'm just going to go to the club, go to the party. But in so doing, you interact with some of these demons. You don't know. That's what Paul was telling the Christian church. You are not supposed to be a demon servant, but you are drinking of the cup of devils. How did they drink of the cup of devils? It's not because they went to a shrine, honestly. They just went to parties, events, where unbelievers gathered, and these unbelievers were actually controlled and ruled by demonic activities. And they went there too and jollified together. And Paul said, as simple as that action is, it opens doors to spirits. You see, eh, a, sp- a demon spirit, I told you, needs human permission to operate. So this is how it works. Well, I wrote something one day and um, a woman got to call me up. A friend, we, we have quite a bit close since that conversation we spoke for close to two hours that day. And she said, well, she, she, she just wanted to share her own experience with the entertainment and the music industry. And she began to tell me how she eventually by research and discovery discovered how many of what sells in the music industry, she is in that industry, is demonically inspired. People actually go and offer sacrifices to download some of these things. She is in the industry. She's not talking out of the industry. She's in the industry. She's telling me how she eventually left it and got delivered. When I say left, she, she was not a singer, but she's an on-air personality. But she told me how she suffered for several years and how she was bound by the words of those spirits because in singing those songs, she became what is called an hopeless romantic. And her sexual energies were always erratic. 
Once again, it is by the seducing spirits, the doctrines of devils that demons control. They don't have any other way to control. They talk. They, if, they, if they say that you are not going to get you by talk, they sing. They sing. Just anything for you to hear them. Are we still together? So actions that you think are just natural are not natural. They can invite demonic activity. The same way we can say, hold your hands with the person beside you and say, Holy Spirit, move. And you see the Holy Spirit move. The same way you can listen to a song, dance to it. This is it. A dance is a body covenant. And if you think I'm joking, go and watch any initiation right into occultic activity. Go and watch on YouTube. You will see that they will be dancing in the world. What happens in those dances is that they give their bodies in the dancing, they yield their members as instruments of righteousness. I don't have time to talk on this matter. But be spiritual to know that it's not everything that you see is physical that is physical, that stops at the physical. Words, actions. Meditations. I would not explain this. We'll do it next week. In meditations, you notice that this is a common way that negative spirits operate through the occultic. Somebody can sit down, cross his leg. He says he's doing yoga. Spiritual interactions happen. People can travel into to India. Reverend John was in the occult for I think about nine years before he got saved, and he told us his several experiences. Wonderful experiences. <laughs> it, it was once he told me that was very interesting. He said, if he enters a bus and an occultic man is seated beside him, he will know because they will be fighting for dominance. Everybody will be exerting their own heat, exerting their own power. Sometimes they can say, this bus will kill the driver. The driver will just jabber in this. Everybody, they, you know, the demonic world thrives in destruction. The more destructive you are, the more influential you become. So sometimes, if the person will sit down beside you in power person, you go back and say, guy, reduce your volume. That one too goes, oh, you do part of our work, man. You eat too much. So that one will go, whatever they will do. Maybe by words or by meditation. But all these things are real, they are real things. Let me close by saying that we should not, as much as possible, the Bible does not teach us to seek certain supernatural spiritual encounters such as visions revelations out of the body experiences trances we should not seek it the word of god is enough spiritual roadmap on certain things like decision making direction in life the word of god is enough if you need more than what is written god will now out of his own sovereignty give divinely granted appearances which is called visions are we still together in scriptures people that had visions did not necessarily look for visions it was god that granted them the vision in acts chapter 10 cornelius had a vision of an angel he was just praying to god an angel was given to him in that same chapter peter was waiting for food to be ready after he prayed and then he entered into a trance vision happened thrice in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph was not convinced that Mary was true about the pregnancy that she carried. So he had to have a dream of God telling him, it is me that, uh, in quotes, impregnated her. Don't divorce her. 
When Adam was going to kill the child, a dream was shown the parents to go to Egypt. They did not seek the visions, they did not seek the dream. It was a divinely granted insight. Are we still together? To be safe, don't go and be looking for vision by force. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. You go to this prophet, they lay hands on you. You go to this mountain, they lay hands on you. That's how people carry demons on their head. If you need to, there will be revelations in that direction. I've noticed that visions and trances are given by God when it is usually an urgent situation, very urgent. And in urgency, God will now bring it in a vision. A vision can happen even amongst other people. In describing the experience in Acts 22, Paul said that there was light, but only him was hearing the voice of Jesus. The other people saw bright light, but did not hear the voice of Jesus. So, somebody can be here, just preaching, she's going on, and it can be, you can have a vision of the third heaven. It can be a seven second vision in the timeline of the flesh, but in the vision, it could actually have happened for seven years. God could have showed him everything that happened in seven years. That's why the realm of the spirit is. The realm of the spirit is not bound to time. Do we get it? Somebody can come out of a vision and he thinks the vision is just for two seconds. When the time he comes to his natural consciousness, he notices he has been away for two hours. So, their timeline is not our timeline. <laughs> Let's stop here. It's too, it's too much um, a conversation to stretch. Stand to your feet and pray in the Spirit. Let's have some understanding by the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I have understanding in you. I have understanding in the Holy Ghost. Pray, 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 pray. These things may seem mystical, but the Holy Ghost will make it plain. Make it plain, make it plain, make it plain. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Be seated. We can't take questions. We run out of time. But let's give our offerings. I don't know if we are going to continue in this direction next week. I intended to. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.